and welcome to Behind the Soundcheck, a brand new podcast bringing you all of the stories from behind the scenes with local legends who are currently killing it in the Aussie music world. And since this is the first episode, I thought I would get the awkward introductions out of the way as I sit talking to myself in a room. Um, For a brief bit of backstory, my name is Tiana and I run a website called The Soundcheck, which is essentially a place for music. I write about bands, I review albums and singles, basically just talk about anything that's local, touring the country or anything just straight up loud. I like my music loud and heavy. I run the site totally on my own alongside a day job, so it does make for a pretty outrageous amount of no sleep and also an unholy amount of hours changed typing at my computer. And with the little amount of time I currently have, I recently thought to myself, how can I add further to my unattainable workload and sleep deprivation? And I have the idea that everyone else has, start a podcast. But the thought of this also got me thinking about how many other people in the music industry are also moonlighting and existing in a range of jobs and professions that quite often go unnoticed or they fly under the radar. And sure enough, Behind the Soundcheck was born. And across the next 10 episodes, I'll be featuring a whole range of creatives and professionals covering everything from what happens on stage to the media, mental health, mixing desks. Ultimately, no one is a one-trick pony in this weird and wonderful world. And I am personally so excited to bring you into this world beyond just what you see on stage. Okay, so that's enough introduction shenanigans. Let's dive into the first episode of Behind the Soundcheck. And what better place to start than with one of the biggest sweethearts in the business. By night, he's a bass shredding machine for Brisbane's Osaka Punch, touring the country and wielding more gentlemanly pizzazz than is probably legal. By day, he's also all of those things, plus a mental health nurse and a hell of a lot more. So for the first ever episode of Behind the Soundcheck, please welcome Brenton Page. Hello and welcome Brenton Page, my first ever podcast guest. It is lovely to have you here tonight. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Fantastic to be here. It's a delight. And now I have, of course, interviewed you a few times, both over the phone and in person, but we've always had other people there. We had Tommy, Tommy, <laughs> Toby from the Omnific over the phone and Jack when we did our video. But for a change, it is just <laughs> you and me, which means... Yeah, a little I- Little Toby. But now we can finally say what we really think about people without anyone else around. Totally. That's it. We can be brutally honest yeah. and then just pay for it, pay for it later. Yeah. Should I, I'll hit the mute button. We'll just quickly go off. We'll go off right for that. <laughs> But in all seriousness, I'm so excited to chat to you today um, and helping me launch the first ever episode for Behind the Soundcheck. And yep. it is no secret you play in a band. And there is that whole creative aspect behind what you do. But today I kind of wanted to delve a bit more into the realities of that fact. And I guess to begin with in particular, the realities of life on the road for someone in an Australian band. I mean, more and more there's less mystery around that side of things, particularly with social media and, you know, influx of content. We can kind of see what everyone's doing at all times. But there is obviously a purpose to touring and there's a whole heap of pros and cons that come with it. And I guess... First and foremost, what are some of the expectations you had about touring back in the day before you really started ramping up that side of things? Did your expectations meet the realities? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when I first moved to Brisbane with a band that I was playing in at the time, I grew up in Townsville. And so when I came to Brisbane, that's kind of when I first started doing, I guess, music really seriously. So that's when the kind of touring started. 
and I was at that time and still to today, I'm just excited to tour. So I, I just really, my expectation was I just hope I have a really good time mm. <laughs> pretty much. Which, and I, and I, growing up, I actually played a lot of basketball. I didn't play really any music when I was growing up, but, but playing basketball, I did do a lot of travel. So I kind of already knew that Australia is a bit of a, like, spaced out kind of place. So, yes. Yeah, so touring's like, oh, it's like nine hours away. Okay, cool. So there's a lot of driving. It's when we first started out anyway, a lot of driving and stuff like that, which I don't mind because you're just in the car with a bunch of your friends having a good time. But, um, yeah, it definitely can be taxing with the driving and stuff like that. But, yeah, I'd say it kind of lived up to my expectations. I just wanted to be the time, and so far it's been exactly that. Yeah, well, it seems always like a good time from the other side of it. And one thing I feel like, I guess, not to detract from the joy you get from it, but something I feel is quite prevalent anytime I've kind of spoken to people who are either on tour or just after touring is wrapped up is the whole dreaded post-tour blues. Um, Oh, yeah. And I guess, you know, it seems it's, it's discussed more, I feel, but it's not always discussed openly and documented just the whole life on the road and the realities upon all of that. For someone like yourself, have you experienced something like that? And can you give me kind of an example of what it was like and how you kind of got back into reality after that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I guess, you know, after tour blues, or what they call it, I guess, like I've felt that in a way, I guess. It's more, I think, if you're trying to do music as a living or if you really love doing music and then you have, say, a month, or two months of touring, doing exactly what you want to do, exactly what you love, then really it's just the welcome back to reality part that kind of kicks you right in the dick, I think. Mm. So for me, um, because I have another job as well, uh, and I'm always pretty much once we're back from tour, it's either a day at most, and then I'm back at my other job. And that's probably for me when reality really hits, (laughs) and you're like, oh, wow, okay. I have to kind of, I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go to work for eight hours. I don't get to play any music and I kind of hate being here a little bit. Mm. So I think that for me is like my definition of the after tour blues. It's just more, you just had a good time hanging out with your friends. Of course, you don't want that to stop. So when it stops, you're a bit bummed out about it. Mm. But uh, I kind of, for me, I just, all I think about is the next tour. So just got to get in and do the work now. So we can kind of work towards our next door and get back on the road again. Yeah. And I guess something I've kind of been trying to really place importance on is embracing that downtime a little bit as well, because as much fun as it can be to have all that constant influx of excitement and doing what you love all the time, you do kind of need that. I don't know. For me, I need that time to just step back and recharge, reset, become a person briefly. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I think just with everything in life, everything has balance and I think needs balance and I'm a firm believer in that. So I, even though I don't want things to end and I want to keep having fun, I think it's good to come back and have, step away from it because then, it, you know, you want to do it more because if you're just doing it all the time, I think the novelty would wear off and you become, you take things for granted and what once was the best thing ever becomes routine and that's when I think you start to lose the passion for it a little bit. Whereas when you come back and then you got to work for a couple of months, all you can think about is getting back back out there again. And then when you do, you appreciate it 
twice as much. And then you get a chance to get back into routine when you're back. And, you know, I think because touring as good as it is, it can kind of mess with your sleeping habits, your eating habits and all that, your financial situation. So it's always good to kind of get back on top of that and then get back out there again. So, and I think, yeah, that the reality is kind of difficult, but yeah, having the routine I think is really important too, because, you know, you have to go to work. You if you want to survive yep. and do the next tour, you do have to go to work. So 5 a.m. rolls around, blah. But, yep. yeah, yep. it gets your ass out of bed and sometimes it's the best possible thing because you just have to put one foot in front of the other. And although your job is obviously a little bit different to, say, my job, which my day job is sitting uh-huh. in an office most of the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you find that your job, like, does it give you that balance? Obviously, you're a mental health nurse. Um, does that is that something that kind of challenges you, or does it is it just something you can kind of switch off and do without having to think too much about it? Um, no, definitely, it's a it's a challenge, and I've done it for well, I've been at this hospital for well, ten years now, and it is a pretty unique place. So every day is a bit different. You don't really know what to expect. It's like chalk and cheese kind of thing. My two jobs. So in that sense, I kind of like it because it's so like far removed from playing in a band and doing the touring stuff than to going to like a high secure mental health hospital and being a nurse. They're like two separate lives but I kind of like that because kind of keeps my feet on the ground and keeps, you know, all of my brain working, not just the, you know, the music and creative side. Like it makes me kind of use my other parts of my brain to do Mm. stuff. And I think, which helps me with everything and and it also makes me appreciate the music a lot more because I really do love doing that. I think the that stuff's important. I mean, as nice as it would be to be a full-time musician, and if that ever happened, I'd be very grateful. But the reality is it, that's a super hard job, especially now that there's streaming and et cetera, et cetera. So it is a really hard gig to do mm. full-time. So yeah, it's you like, just got to kind of take it. Yeah, just go with the flu. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, what, are one of the, oh, what is one of the biggest lessons you've ever learned about being on the road? I mean, if you were going to advise someone who was going out on tour for the first time ever and yep. you were willing to impart your wisdom, <laughs> if you're willing to give that away, what would you offer up as kind of sage advice from someone who has done it so frequently? Well, I guess it kind of depends what stage like your band's at and what you're trying to achieve. Obviously, like everyone's at a different stage and wants to do different things. Uh, if you're trying to make, you know, be really serious with your band and get out there, I mean, as tempting as it is just to get touring and tour as much as possible, which is important, I think you have to tour smartly because you really can, like, drill yourself into the ground, not just physically, but financially. That's what you have to be careful with, I think. And the reality is in Australia, just with Australian culture, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, they're almost no point in playing nights mm-hmm. like if you're going to bust your ass and tour but then play a wednesday night somewhere and like three people there then it's probably not really worth the financial kind of loss that you're going to have and all that so just trying to tour smart and trying to get on which a lot of bands try and do i think but you know don't be precious like if you're going somewhere that's not your home place and there's a band that's better or bigger than you be their support, you know, you want to jump on those, you want to steal their fans, essentially. <laughs> so, so just like, yep, sweet, we'll play before you because at least you know they're going to bring 100 people or whatever and you're going to be playing in front of people and that's what you want to do when you're on tour. You want to 
you're essentially promoting your band. Mm. So I guess it's just trying to smart and I mean you got to get out there definitely and mm. keep hitting places, but also don't oversaturate places. So make sure you leave enough time between places so you can create that supply and demand kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess as well from another side of it, you guys and obviously so many musos just give everything you have to your creative art when you are on the road, like emotionally and physically. And I think what I remember so vividly is, I don't know, was that a year ago, all of you guys crashed at our place. You know, you had a weekend of gigs. I'm pretty sure your shoulder was absolutely destroyed. Dane's back was short. Crispy had the plague. I don't know what was wrong with Jack. He may have had dancer's hip or something. Yeah, he may. (laughs) He probably did. (laughs) But I guess between it all, you guys jumped up on stage and tore the roof off. You would never have actually known that everyone was actually dying. Like, is it the whole notion of the show must go on? Like, how do you muster the will to push past all of this physical and mental insanity you face with with this lifestyle? Probably it's mainly based around stupidity. (laughs) (laughs) But I do remember that time because I actually ended up going back. After I got back, I ended up getting cortisone injections in my shoulder. I remember that. It was gnarly. But to answer your question, I think, and once again, this is just, I can only speak for me and our band. Um, we're kind of like any show we play, you're, if people, especially, you know, people come to see, they've come to be entertained or they've paid money. And that still blows my mind if people have paid money who really want to see us. That's still a weird thing for me. So I just, and I'm speaking to the other guys as well, I just have this overwhelming, like, I have this responsibility to, mm-hmm. like, okay, we need to, it doesn't matter if our, a little bit of a, sore shoulder or if the cuticles on my nails are a little bit forward or whatever. <laughs> like, like, we're we're going to just throw down and we'll deal with the complications later kind of thing. And for the most part, when you're up there, the adrenaline kicks in and you mm. do get through it. It's just afterwards you have like, oh, wow, I probably shouldn't have done that. But <laughs> as soon as someone comes up and says, oh, that was really good or we really had a good night, you're like, okay, cool, I can deal with rheumatoid arthritis that's fine yeah, and apparently you need a manicure too <laughs> yeah well you see these are the things well I these think, are the things you have to deal with i know the life the realities of a rock star i think i interviewed um Joachim from sabaton recently and i asked him a similar question and he just said basically the reality is for them it's like we either let down like thousands of people or we do yeah. it. And he, I think his actual quote was that he was worried once he jumped and he thought he was shitting himself because he had like a horrible flu. Like he was deathly <laughs> ill, but yeah. he was like, I'm not dead. So I hope yeah. I don't shit myself publicly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Like it's just, if you, I mean, I don't know. I, I think we have that kind of same kind of feeling. Like if people have come out, have a good time. I mean, unless, of course, unless you're, like, fucking incapacitated. But mm. if you if you can get up there and you can make it work, then get up there and do what you've got to do. And for the most part, like I was saying, once you start playing, you're having a good time and, like, you can't feel probably the pain or the sickness as much. Yes. But, um, yeah, it is that corny saying that the show must go on and mm. that's what we kind of, kind of try and do. Yeah. So that's why when you're touring through, we're, with your first question with any advice like you try and do this especially if you're doing long tours and because we have a kind of physical show Mm. 
in between shows and stuff, you just got to do all the things you can to look after your body physically, which when I was younger, I didn't really do because I was indestructible apparently. <laughs> but now, like as lame as it sounds, like we do do a lot of stretching, a lot of that kind of drink, plenty of water because you play like that, the way we play, like two months tour, you will literally be like, you'll write yourself off otherwise. Yeah, I I very vividly remember as a kid like wait, wondering why I was wasting my time stretching before playing netball and all that, and now I literally need to stretch to get out of bed. It's a dire oh, state of affairs. I'm hearing you. You're just like, yeah, stretching just it's not a thing. Like it's for it's for the week. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, and oh, I like, slipped on my neck. Funny, I can't go to work for two weeks. <laughs> that's it. Like, oh, my hamstrings a bit tight. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> And I guess as someone who has seen a lot of the country now touring as a band, there are a lot of parameters and realities, you know, even getting on the road. I mean, for some bands to tour like regional bands, it's, you know, you got to save up your entire life to even get out there. And there's yep. a minefield of things to maneuver to stay afloat. A broader topic to jump off that is, do you feel like the Aussie music industry is healthy right now in terms of like helping quote unquote underground or emerging bands kind of get their music out there and get heard and get seen by people outside their hometowns? That's a hard question for me to answer. I think only because like we, we have been very lucky the last two years in the sense that so pretty much with our style of music, we've gone and I'm not bashing anyone, but we've gone to like triple J radio stations like that. And no one showed any interest really in our stuff. Mm. So you can kind of get, if you're in our position, you could probably get a jaded perspective on that. So, But it is what it is. Like Triple J and other radio stations, they're just going to play what, you know, what's popular. Whether they are claiming to be an alternative station or not, at the end of the day, everything's business. And that's okay. It's mm-hmm. better if they just admit that, I think. And mm-hmm. I, I understand that. I understand that. So if you're not kind of in that potentially business making down at the time which we're apparently not which is fine mm. uh, then it's kind of hard to get a start in that section so we kind of thought okay well if we're not going to get any airplay or anything like that then we need to try and get ourselves out there by like the old school of like just touring and getting out there and I think we all kind of said the best thing that we could do is kind of try and get on tours with bands that are well known and bigger than us and then we were really lucky that we did have a chance to do that with the butterfly effect and then mammal and then cold and mm. um, living color and stuff like that. So we got those opportunities to do those things. I mean, and I, so I don't really know if Australia is like, I mean, people love music in Australia. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Um, I know there are some weird laws happening in New South Wales with festivals at the moment, yeah. which I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I, I don't know fully what it is, but I just remember people not being too happy about it mm. kind of thing. So, I mean, if that's still going on, I don't know if you take that into account. But, I mean, we've been lucky to play a lot of music here, but it is really hard to be a full-time professional original musician in Australia. Mm. So I don't know if that's a – I don't know what that comes down to, whether it's just because the opportunities aren't there or just the – nature that Australia is a little bit removed from not the rest of the world but you know we are a little bit further away from I guess America and Europe and all that kind of stuff and touring here is kind of hard because everything's so spread out and there's Mm. nowhere near many big cities that you can play I mean I've got nothing bad to say against the Australian music industry but 
I really don't know how to answer it because I don't know if it's super supportive. I mean, it's better than a, a lot of it's better than a lot of countries, that's for sure. So we we're lucky to have an abundance of music, and there's some killer new bands that come out of Australia. Like I think we have a really strong music pool here, but to say it's kind of you know on a par with America or Europe, I don't think the opportunity there as much. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of unique challenges and I know a lot of stuff like I've been seeing lately. I think there's all the issues with funding and there's so much to it. But like you said, I mean, you just got to keep doing it. If it's something that you are willing to yeah. kind of make a few sacrifices to, can, you know, to not, not, and not to sell out. I'm not saying people are selling out by going commercial at all, but yeah, you've kind of just no, got to yeah. stick to your guns, which you guys do brilliantly. So yeah, I think that's a very elegant answer. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, because it's something so, I think it has to be hard and it should be hard because if you did make a living from it and you actually got to that stage, for example, let's say Parkway Drive, they're, you know, they're living that dream kind of deal. It's such a, a ama- like, a, amazing lifestyle. Like, I think the whole time you'd be like, I can't believe this is happening. So I think you should have to work for it and earn it kind of thing because the outcome or the goal that you get is just, next level so many people would love to be in that position yeah so it is a hard i think it is a hard slog here but it is you know the, the gain or what you get in the end if you make it it's probably next to nothing for me that would be awesome yeah absolutely and on the topic of yourself as you mentioned earlier you did do some sport back in the day too but i believe your bass journey started in your teens yeah i got uh, i got a bass guitar for my 15th birthday oh, best Yep. See, I got a guitar yep. for my 16th birthday. Do you want to guess how many chords I can play on that thing? Three. <laughs> no, you're very optimistic. Two. I'd say 1.5. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that was pretty good. That's good. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> how many years has it been? Like 18 years. Anyway, I digress. Um, going back to yourself, was it always something you were interested in? Like why the bass? Did you ever consider playing any other instruments along the way? Did you ask for the bass or was it bestowed upon you? No, I asked for it. I mean, I had a bit of a funny kind of music upbringing. Like there wasn't a great deal of music in my family. Like my parents like liked music, but they, I wouldn't even say I grew up with my parents listening to a lot of music. Like I know a lot of my friends, you know, their parents had lots of vinyl and they kind of grew up in that you know, their parents playing a lot of music, but I grew up in a basketball family. So I played, you know, for the first 14, 15 years of my life, it was really based around sport and basketball. My sister played the organ, but somewhere along the lines there, I started just like listening to a lot of music and getting into music. And um, what kind of pushed me towards the bass was a friend of mine had a guitar and he played guitar. And I was like, oh, I'd love to start a band. He already plays guitar, so I want to play the bass guitar. So then, <laughs> so, and then I used to watch like a few VHSs all the time. I had a VHS of Rage the Machine and one of Pantera and one of Metallica, actually. And I was just obsessed with the bass in those three bands. And that's kind of, I asked for a bass guitar. My parents try to say, you sure you don't want to play just normal guitar? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure, Brendan? You sure? You sure? <laughs> so, but, yep, come my 15th birthday, bam, I got my first Ibanez bass guitar. Oh, no, Ashton, I'm sorry. Ashton guitar, that's what it was. 
In terms of learning it, did you learn it by ear or did you have lessons? Like, are you just freakishly talented and you just picked it up on your own? No, actually, to be honest, I'm not, I don't have any natural musical talent, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, so for me, I, I actually got it. My, for my birthday, and then the next day was my first, they'd already booked me bass lessons. Oh my god! <laughs> so my, yeah, so my like first lesson was the next day. Wow. Um, so I kind of just went from there, and I think for me, just I enjoyed playing so much. I just kept practicing and practicing, and practicing till I could play the things I set out to play. Um, I did, never really had that natural kind of thing for it, but I had that. I guess the drive to do it because I was like, I want to do this, and I loved it. So it wasn't really a burden for me; it was just fun. Mm. So once I was like, okay, I want to be able to play that. It just probably took me longer than most people at first, but I just got there in the end. I just kept doing it until I got it, kind yeah. of thing. Um, how many times did you ever play the Seinfeld theme song? I still can't play that motherfucker. <laughs> oh. That's a hard. <laughs> That's a hard rip, actually. I tried it good. once and I got it, like, I was playing at a snail's pace to be fair and I was sitting there and everyone's like, oh, my God, stop. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. And then I got it once and I immediately retired from bass. Are you serious? Yeah, but it took, I'm, I'm not talking like I got it in two seconds. I was sitting there, I'm like, do, do, and then I'm, like, I'd start again and I'm, I'm, I'm in public, by the way. Like, a party or, like, at a party just being an idiot and... Yeah, it, it wasn't a quick overnight success, but I feel like it's when you get, you know, what you sink one hole in one, you immediately retire from golf. I just went out with a bang. Oh, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah, leave them wanting more for sure. <laughs> my Seinfeld theme song and my one point flight of guitar chords. Like I've got the workings of a one woman band right now. Yeah, that's, all right. Well, I'll, I've never actually tried to learn that, but <laughs> should I should I do that? Should I just try and learn that? I'm gonna put I'm gonna throw down the gauntlet and say I'm a better bass player than you, unless you learn the Seinfeld theme song. <laughs> okay, okay, it's on. Let's, Challenge let's extended. <laughs> Challenge accepted. All right. <laughs> um, going back to it all as well, looking at it broader, there are a lot of ups and a lot of downs with this whole kind of life that you are living, um, being a badass in a band, but what do you actually love the most about it? Do you love being on stage? Do you love looking good in a singlet where you're slapping that bass? What is it that keeps you motivated? Probably my most favorite is yeah, playing live. And I'm probably I'm I guess a lot of guys and gals in the band music industry would say that. I'm not necessarily actually because some of the guys in the band really love recording or they really love the writing process and that creative side of it, which is their you know they love the most. But for me, I just love being on stage and playing for people and I kind of just feed off that energy from the crowd and from the other guys on stage and to me that's like a amazing drug kind of thing like it's the best feeling ever I mean there's lots of aspects of being in a band that I love but nothing beats that kind of being in the moment on stage and everyone and if you can look out and if you see a bunch of smiles where you can see people are enjoying themselves I'm like this is why we've practice hours and hours and hours and we haven't slept and we haven't showered and you know <laughs> we haven't done all this stuff like it all makes sense in that moment it all makes it worth that kind of the other shit that you kind of don't like doing you're like yeah. okay this is that makes everything worth it for me anyway yeah no i think that's i think that's a nice way to look at it and obviously you've got to get 
some form of enjoyment out of it. So it's awesome to hear that you do, you know, you do get paid back with that joy that comes back to you from the crowd. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of, like, there's lots of fun, like, you know, just hanging out with your friends and like doing film clips is, you know, if you, cause we're idiots being idiots, <laughs> you know, all that stuff's fun. But I guess when you have a reaction from a complete stranger and it's just a positive wreck, cause they've just come out really having a good time listening to something you've all written together. Mm. That's like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And that novelty, I don't think that'll never wear off for me. Like anytime I see someone that I know or don't know, kind of genuinely liking what we're doing. I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I and, never thought that would happen. And people wearing shirts that they've like fashioned themselves. I remember we saw people wearing like tank top Osaka punch shirts that don't even exist. You've got modified yeah, I, merch. I know. That shirt was so tight. Wasn't it, <laughs> it, was, it was. It was <laughs> a tight <laughs> shirt. Oh, my God. I don't even remember us having a shirt that small. <laughs> <laughs> He's made this. Yeah, that's a, I, that's a DIY number right there. So you've got DIY merch as well. Oh, shit like that just warms my heart. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful moment. Oh, <laughs> stunning. Um, so I will wrap this up slowly, I guess, for a change of pace. And when I say quick, it's probably not that quick because I'm still going. But um, I wanted to ask you a few quick questions. I'm calling it the sound check sound off. It's a lightning round where I just ask you a few quick questions and you can just answer as quickly as you can without overthinking. Overthinking, good, I can do that. <laughs> so, I'm ready. I'm are you ready. ready? Are you ready? Do you need to warm yep. up? Penis. Was that, was that right? Oh, that's it. That's the end. Yeah. <laughs> Shut yeah. it down. We're done. Shut it off. First episode done. Uh, boom. Thank you, my, Brenton. My podcast career is over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my, I've even started. My, my mother won't speak to me. <laughs> My mum's sitting next to me. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Page. <laughs> okay, so let's right, do this. Let's you do are it. in a band called Osaka Punch. What ingredients would you use if I asked you to whip me up some punch to drink that reflects the band? Oh, Jesus. Um, probably I would use coffee, um, marijuana, and a sprinkle of LSD and a whole, uh, and Berry bread in a blender. In a blender. Oh, mm. blended. Yum. Blended. Not, not shaken. It has to be blended. <laughs> yep. Uh, do we say that yeah. on the rocks or is that just. That's up to you, but. Personal preference. <laughs> Personal crushed ice, I think. Oh, delightful. All right. Well, um, I'm, I might, might make that. Maybe not. Um, Maybe don't do that. Yeah. yeah, no. Okay. Number two. If you could swap instruments with anyone in Osaka Punch, who would it be? Oh, Jesus. Um, probably the v vocals. And, I can't, and I'm the worst singer too. So, but I, yeah, I would take Jack's spot and Jack could play bass. We could just play like EGM the whole time and just, you know, Well, yeah, I can't play keys either. So that would be interesting as well. Oh, I'm so into this. Let's make this happen. <laughs> oh, do so, you want me to yeah. come out and play my 1.5 chords? <laughs> I don't want you to show me up in front of everybody. Okay. No. All right. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Number three, what was the first gig you ever played and what would you rate your performance out of 10? First gig I ever played was with at my, it was at my sister's 18th birthday party. Um, my performance was probably maybe a three or four potatoes out of 10 potatoes. Ooh. Um, I also have never been so scared in my fucking life. 
And I remember that day like it was yesterday. And it was, I was shitting bricks. Not only because it was the first time I ever played, but everybody, extended family, etc., and all of Simone's hot 18-year-old friends just sat on chairs and watched us play <laughs> and stared into our souls. And it was in broad daylight. Oh, God. Uh, yep. Just by the family pool. Oh, it's beautiful <laughs> memories, Brendan. They are why I go to a therapist. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, I was going to ask her their photos, but now I feel like I'm just poking the bear there. I might just, yeah, I might just leave that. That was the first gig ever. I remember that day. Nice. Nice. I love it. Now, you've played a lot of basketball back in the day, as you mentioned, but you did experience some untimely knee incidents that put a stop to that. But let's jump into a parallel universe for a moment. No knee yep. injury, and you have the option of becoming a professional basketballer or a professional musician. What are you choosing? Hmm. Well, in all honesty, probably professional musician because I was kind of, I started having that thought when I was still playing basketball. And then the knee thing was kind of what made me make my, like, okay, I'm done with basketball. I didn't actually have a choice because my knee's like, no, 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 you're done. You don't mm-hmm. have a choice. But, um, before that, prior to that, maybe a year before, I started thinking, well, music's actually heaps better than this. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, music, uh, it would always be music. I mean, I've always loved playing basketball and I enjoyed it, and I would love to be like an NBA star or something. But mm. no, music's kind of where it's at for me. That's what makes me happy. Excellent. I like it. Um, now, you are also a bit of a superhero buff and could definitely hold your own if we were ever under attack from supernatural beings, I'm sure of it. But hey, well, let, no, let's not start that. I definitely know the difference between many superheroes, Brenton. Uh, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> Why would you do that? You said you'd never tell anybody. Yes, I mistakenly, I thought that certain the multiple superheroes were cable at once. And <laughs> yes, apparently there's only one cable. Yes. Okay, thank you, Brenton. Thank you for schooling me twice. <laughs> um, okay, so what would be your ultimate superpower that you would love to have or do you currently yep. have one already? Wow. I don't know if I want to tell you my secret. <laughs> so oh, <laughs> I wish I had a superpower. That would be amazing. Uh, if I could choose any, and is it just one? Like one superpower? Well, I get if you can one. justify having multiple, I will allow it. Okay. It's hard for me to go past just being able to fly because mm. I think that would just be, I mean, there's heaps of superpowers that I would love to have. But being able to fly, I th- which is super boring because most of you are like, everybody fucking says that or like super strength. I'd hate that. Like super strength would be annoying, to be honest. You wouldn't be able to open the door without crushing the handle. But if you could fly, I think that would be really rad. And I think it has this sense of freedom, ultimate freedom to it. Like, oh, I don't want to be at work today, bang, fly away. And Where's Brenton? Yeah, people won't even be angry because they'll be like, does that motherfucker just fly? And, like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, sweet, have the day off. That's understandable. Yeah, you can't be mad at someone that can fly. Do you have an answer to that question? Oh, see, I always thought it was fly because I had a dream once where I legit had a lucid dream where I realized I was dreaming. I'm like, I'm going to fly. And I've had the same yes, dream. How good. And like, how, oh. Yeah, and I took total advantage. I was like, it, I felt like it was the first time ever I was in control in my dream. I was like, let's just fly. Yeah. Let's just see how this goes. And it feels wow. so real. And I was, I think I was at my old high school, which was, I don't know, there's unrelated issues potentially there, but 
Um, it was crazy. And I woke up and I was like, oh, damn it. Like, so you choose flying as well? Yeah, which I know it does sound like one that everyone would pick, but I just think, like you said, you can just escape a bit. And then also I hate catching public transport and commuting. So, I mean, I'd totally. probably, you'd probably have to be careful what you wear, I suppose, and, you know, yeah, yeah. pants at all well, times. But Well, if you're a prude, <laughs> pants at all times. So. <laughs> okay, pants optional for Brendan. Optional, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I know it's the cliche, but I'm definitely with you there. That's mine. That's mine as well. So to close this out, I'm asking every guest that I have the same question. I'm going to ask you to name the song or sound that changed your life, potentially a song or sound that heavily impacted you, whether it was professionally or personally, and something that yep. still holds a special place in your sonic heart. Um, I kind of have two things for that one, I think. So pretty much the first thing would be the first record, like CD, that I ever bought, it was in 1997, was Pantera, Far Beyond Driven, that album. And when I first heard that album, the friend, the friend that actually played guitar that I wanted, you know, I started playing bass because he was playing guitar, I wanted to start a band with him. He was a couple of years older than me and he introduced me to Pantera. And when he played that CD, I'd never heard anything like that in my, mm -hmm. like, I was in grade seven, so I was only listening to probably Spice Girls and Hanson and still trying to work out if I was attracted to the singer or not of Hanson. <laughs> so that's where I was at. And so then when Pantera, he played Pantera, I was like, this is a game changer for me. And it was, I, I delved right into that kind of stuff. So probably, and a song was Slaughtered, <laughs> Slaughtered by Pantera nice. was the first song that kind of got me onto that, you know, really into music. And then the bass player from Rage Against the Machine really influenced some of the early decisions I made playing music as well. Love his sound and I love his style. So I was like, yep, want to play bass. And when I was deciding, should I play, you know, predominantly with a pick or with fingers? Like, he plays with fingers and I like it, so I'm going to play with my fingers. And yeah, I was 15. I was pretty, you know, loving that stuff. Yeah. And look where it led to. Made you into the man you are today. And um, I just have to check, are you still potentially attracted to the singer from Hanson? You know, <laughs> yeah you know what i yeah yep i am and for the longest time i was like i'm you know she's she's amazingly hot until i said that's actually a guy and i was like that's even better yeah. you know what that's even better pretty is pretty but, um, yeah you, that's it you can't deny that you know amazing jawline beautiful adam's apple beautiful blonde hair how can you go past that the perfect package some may say yeah, I'm sure he does have the package. <laughs> well, but I feel like that is a beautiful and fitting route to end our chat thank on. You. Uh, thank you. I'm here all week. Thank you. <laughs> but um, I speak for many, many people when I say we can't wait to see the next adventures from Osaka Punch. Obviously, you guys have your single launch coming up, brand new music video and tunes, which will no doubt be yep. a bit of a time for all of us. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, you get first of November to show and. I think October is the single and video release, so we'll um, see how that goes. But yeah, we're you know we're we're digging it. So that's, yeah. that's a good start. Hey, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> we're pretty selfish like that. <laughs> well, thank you, Brenton, for helping me launch my podcast and for being such a fantastic guest as per usual. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's always lovely. And but more importantly, let's switch the microphones off and we can get back to talking about what we really think about everyone. Excellent, let's do it. Yeah, let's go. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>
Well, thank you everyone for joining me for the first ever episode today. I hope you have had a hell of a time. And for anyone who wants to go and stalk Brenton, he's on social media. He loves getting unsolicited messages from people. I could give out his phone number later, but he might yell at me, so we won't do that. Anyway, end of episode one. For more musical goodness, including new releases, artist interviews, and also ongoing episodes of this podcast, you can check out my website, The Soundcheck, which is www.thesoundcheck.org. And I would like to give a massive shout out to Osaka Punch for my very snazzy theme song, making me sound a tad more badass than I actually am. And of course, a huge thanks to Brenton for taking the plunge today. I'll catch you all again next week's episode two of Behind the Soundcheck. Until next time.